Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 3:15 to 17. In your Red Pew Bible, that is page 984. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word, do in deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, um, we're thankful for your faithfulness to our church over these many, many years, um, how you keep coming through and answering our prayers. Uh, really, really neat. So Lord, would you speak to us as we look through your word today, specifically as we look at uh, what the local church is and how to identify ourselves as one in Jesus' name. Amen. Third chapter in Colossians. Uh, this chapter gives us a better understanding of the rule and authority of Jesus. In the first two chapters, it Paul wrote about refuting these false teachers, and by the time we get here to chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is telling the followers of Jesus how to live their life in fullness of Christ, in, in freedom in Christ. Now, the term authority is just not looked upon very favorably uh, in our time, in our culture. It's just not something that is all that well received. But it is a very important aspect of just life. Uh, you look at society, you look at family structures, you look at uh, business structures, whatever kind of structure you're looking at, it, it applies. And so just being realists, we're all subject to something. We're all under something. And so whether that is Jesus Christ or someone else or something else, we all are subject to someone or someone. So how does that authority rule over you? quick review. Uh, verses 1 through 8, Paul deals with us individually, how we rate, relate to Jesus Christ personally. And then moving into verses 9 through 17, Paul deals with Christians and their relationships to one another and the local church. So just take a quick look at the wording that he uses. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Verse 13, bearing with one another. Verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. So verses 9 through 17 are, are much more interpersonal, much more dealing with one another. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17, uh, but we're going to do a quick review a little further up, uh, probably starting around verse 9. And as we do this, uh, please keep a, a few of these questions in mind as we, we kind of look at these verses. What is life to be like in the local church? What is the local church? And how are we to be identified as followers of Jesus Christ? Now, we've brief, we briefly cover these questions in our first class of Regen Community, which is right after the second service. We did class one. Um, I'm going to invite you, anybody here to class two, which is talking about who you are. We're going to cover personality tests. We're going to cover spiritual gift tests and just talk about kind of who God made you to be and just to help kind of like start those juices flowing in your mind. You can attend at any time. You can jump into those classes at any time. You don't have to do them in sequence. So if you missed the first one, feel free to jump into the second one. 
Back to Colossians, though. This is about the church here. That we know that the church is not about buildings or groups of people doing religious things. Obviously, we do things at church. We, we come to church. But are you in this? Are you part of this? Or are you just, like, attending? How are you involved? How are you a participant sharing in the church life? See, the church is a gathering of people who are redeemed by Jesus, worshiping Christ together, and we're called to evangelize the world. That, that's our purpose. But many people have been turned off by the church, and maybe the church hasn't been doing what it has been purposed to do. Maybe there are misunderstandings of how the people perceive the church and who we are actually to be like according to the Bible. I'll share a quick story for you. Um, there, there was this grown man who had been going to church with his parents for a very, very long time. And one Sunday, uh, the grown man said, Mom, I'm, I'm not going to go to church with you this morning. And the mom just said, you know what, you're going. And so he ends up going pretty reluctantly. And so they sit in the front pew like they have done for, for many, many years. And then that grown man's just like shuffling his feet and he's like thumbing through his Bible and looking over his shoulder at everybody else, not really wanting to be there. And then the music stopped and the preaching pastor was then invited to come up and the mother looked over at the grown man and said, what are you waiting for? Uh, like three of you got that joke. But <laughs> what has the church become for so many people? Has it become a place of empty ritual? Has it become a place that just has a bunch of uptight people who like to tell other people how to live their life morally? What is the church? And I think if we ask people just down by the lake and we just ask them and we compare it to what it is in the Bible that we're going to get very, very different answers. And I don't blame the people on the street for thinking those things. It's the church has misrepresented Christ at times. We know from last week's study that the church is made up of God's chosen ones. The church is made up of his holy people set aside for his purpose. It's made up of his beloved. He loves them dearly. He loves us dearly. Verse 12 that we are a new creation. We can look to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be in Christ, his body, to be in his church, not just attending a church, but to be a dynamic part of the church in Jesus Christ. The church is about bridging differences, that in Jesus Christ, all of these unbridgeable differences that we have, that they can be bridged. And so we look at verse 11. Here is not Greek or Jew. Here is not circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So complete opposites can be united. That inequity can be just, that enemies can be friends, that the church ushers in this type of peace and righteousness and friendship and this unity in Christ and how we live our lives, not because of outside pressures or because some law out there says we have to, but because this is simply who we are. 
This is who we are in Jesus and, and how Christ has completely transformed our lives by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we look at the world differently. We value things differently from the world. But what the world sees is not just differences we have from the world, but differences we have amongst each other. Yes, our churches worship differently and we differ on non-essential issues, but there must be a union of our spirits in Christ, that Christ is all and in all, verse 11. And so what this essentially means is that Christ is really all that matters. Christ is what matters. Where Christ becomes everything so that everything else just falls into its place. And the differences between Gentiles and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, friends, enemies, slave-free, aren't what define the relationships any longer. That our identity is in Christ. And even with all of our differences, that Christ unites us. And Christ is what matters. And this never changes no matter where we are in the world. See, other values change all the time depending on where you are in the world. There are different values than the ones that we hold here in the United States. And yet, people here, citizens here, are very good at imposing our values on the rest of the world when it's simply not their value. But as a Christian, the supremacy of Christ does not change no matter where we are. And we can be brought together despite all these differences. If there is anything else in place of Christ, then there will be disunity. And we see this all over the world. We see this even in churches. When we place an agenda, experience, an approach, or any other secondary issue in place of Christ, that there will be division. There will be disunity. Because Christ is no longer what matters most in those places. But we must have Christ matter the most in the church. So that we can get the message of Christ out of the church. The church is the primary agency of evangelism for the world. We have been commissioned for that. Our purpose is to reach the world. We have this everlasting significance in the purpose of God. Our effects are beyond time. They are beyond our physical presence uh, in this world. We are primarily representatives of Jesus, not something else, not someone else. We have to speak the truth as a church. Look at verse 13. It says, or verse 9 in chapter 3, do not lie to one another. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the truth. Our relationships with God and with each other, they're, they're to be marked by truth because this is where God deals with things. God deals with them in reality. He deals with them in truth. Wouldn't it be so refreshing that if you could find a place to go to where lies just don't exist and you just dealt in truth? The church is to be a place like that where you can come in and you just deal with truth a place that deals with truth. It's supposed to be that place. It's supposed to be an, a place of love. So the church is supposed to be a place of truth. It's supposed to be a place of love. Look at verse 14. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How do we love when people have so many different definitions of love? Like, how, how do we define it? 
I, I want us to take a look at several verses from the Bible as to see how we as followers of Jesus are to define love. The first one is found in John chapter 13, verse 34, and we are to love sacrificially. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The love spoken here is speaking of a sacrificial love, that this is a deeper love than people who belong to a club with each other have for each other. So, for example, most of us don't have a sacrificial love for our fellow Costco members. Yes, like we, we don't do that. We enjoy finding good deals with each other, and we enjoy the different products and services with each other, but it is definitely not sacrificial. And all you have to do is show up on Black Friday, and you can tell that it is definitely not sacrificial, because you'll go look at the thing that you want, and the person that took it right under your nose is not going to offer it to you. I was just, I was just, a sacri I was just at Costco this past week, and. We're just waiting in line. My, my kids just wanted a drink, so I was, went to the line, and they just kept getting cut in front of by adults. So I had to walk right up there. I'll leave it at that. So <laughs> i just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. We love increasingly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. We love more and more and more. We keep loving. Even though we have differences, we love more. We love intelligently. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. See, love is not just feelings. It, love is not just biochemical. Love is, love is taught. We need to be taught how to love where, where then we understand it in our mind, then we can actually do it. Because then we're not governed by a feeling because if all of a sudden I don't feel like it, but because of this deeper love, I'll still do it. We love continuously. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. We keep going. Keep it going. Keep loving. We don't let that die. We love deeply. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly. We know that it takes effort. It takes initiative to, to love earnestly. It, it, it takes a di to us digging deeper. It doesn't just happen. And continuing on in that verse, we love purposefully. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And then it says this, since love covers a multitude of sins. It's purposeful in covering a multitude of sins. It, it, it covers over when, when we've been wronged so that rather than reacting in anger to something, we can respond in love. That was, that was a convicting thing for me just now because of the Costco thing, but yeah. Holy Spirit just works quick, I guess. I don't know. So the local church is to be a place of truth, verse 9, a place of love, verse 14, and a place of peace, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. When Jesus was 
near Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Let's look over that story, picking up that story in Luke 19, verse 42. Jesus said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. I think if Jesus was up in the Oakland Hills and overlooking Oakland or overlooking the entire Bay Area, I think in this similar way he would say, if, if you only knew what would really bring you guys peace. And I think he would weep also. Peace is something that all of us want. It's something that everyone in the entire world wants. And it's something that a lot of people in the world have worked for and worked towards, but is it any more peaceful? Is our world any more peaceful? We actually don't even have to look at the world to know that we're not any more peaceful because all you really have to do in a lot of families is look across the dining table and maybe there's an empty seat because there's no peace in the house. Or if the seat is occupied that things aren't going so well. This peace between spouses, the peace between siblings, the peace between parents and children. See, peace is lacking everywhere. It's not just like a, a world thing. The problem with peace is that we're confronted with war all the time. So whether that's inside the house or outside the house, we just have it all the time. And for those of us who profess Christ to be the ruler of our hearts, is he really do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Because we can't have peace with one another until we have peace with our God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just some religious peace, but this is the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, where we find contentment and rest because Jesus is our Savior who has forgiven us of everything that separates us from God. And there is no peace without forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there's bondage to unforgiveness. Nothing gets rid of that unforgiveness other than forgiveness. Sometimes forgiveness just doesn't make any sense. Sometimes peace doesn't make any sense. But this is what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. It also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so here in Colossians 3, verse 15, we're instructed to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule so that whatever is not of the peace of Christ is then ruled out. When, when there is division within the church, the peace of Christ must rule. The peace of Christ governs our relationships. It, it is to rule our hearts. We can't hide that lack of peace inside of our hearts. You can hide it in your face. right? You can hide it like you can ask someone how they're doing. They're just saying fine. They have a smile on their face. Everything seems good on, 
But you know that in your core, when you're not at peace with something, and you're just kind of divided and things are happening. Like, and it's like sometimes only you know. Even the people closest to you don't know this, but you know. But we're called to a peace. And then there's this sentence, and be thankful. If we have peace, we, we do have plenty to be thankful for if we're experiencing peace, don't we? This thankfulness, it breeds a contentment. It, it helps us to recognize where we are content or discontent. But if we are discontent, our hearts are, are not thankful and, and we do lack peace. So verse 9, truth. Verse 14, love. Verse 15, peace. And then verse 16, the word of Christ. Those are all to be hallmarks of the church. Truth, love, peace, the word of Christ. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it feel totally at home in you. Let it inhabit your entire being. Dwelling richly. It's a transformation. People can see it. You know it. It transforms as we follow it in obedience. What, what does it mean for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? We have to take it in. We have to take all that nourishment. We have to absorb all the nutrients by taking it all in. We can't get out the word of God what we haven't put in us. We, we don't know what we don't know. So we, we can't remember what's not inside of us. So how, how do we get in us that word of God to dwell in it so richly? One of those things is we need to hear it. And we need to hear it over and over and over and over again until it just sinks in. We need to just listen to these things. I, I'm amazed at how much you can know by hearing because um, my five-year-old can recite like entire rap songs because my 12-year-old is listening to these songs. And so I'm like, shouldn't you be like listening like Barney or Sesame Street or like, what, what is this? And she's like doing all this dancing, moving with it, stuff like that. I'm like, what? Like never, like she's never seen like any videos or any of those things. Like how do you, how do you know how to move like that? Like she's hearing it. Hearing, like hearing the beats and stuff, she's just moving with those things, right? And she can just like sing these songs that, they're not inappropriate songs, but they're just like, how does a five-year-old know that? Just hearing it all the time, because my 12 and 10-year-old are listening to these things. Luke said in, uh, Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So we read it. So we hear it, and then here's, we read it. We need to read it. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 19. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." 
So we need to read it over and over and over again. And this is an amazing thing to me too because my 12-year-old is really into science fiction and fantasy and those sorts of things and uh, into like Percy Jackson stuff and all that kind of stuff. So like Divergent series and all this. She's into all that stuff, right? And we'll be watching the movie and she'll be so upset. That's not in the book. She's literally read these things like dozens of times. She just keeps reading and reading. She can like recite things from what she's reading. And so we need to be able to read it so that when we see it, we can tell the difference between, like, that's, that's a made-up thing. Like, that, that wasn't in the script. Right? That's not part of it. And so we need to keep reading so that we can take it all in. So we hear it through our ears. We, we read it from our eyes. But, but we need to take it into our heart and our mind and our spirit for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We, we need to read this for the rest of our lives so that we can tell when it's not right. Read it so that we learn to revere God, to keep his words and to follow him. It's not just reading it like we're reading a blog or something like that, but, but we're reading it to study it. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You can't rightly handle the word of truth without the spiritual discipline of study, which helps us to remember, which helps us to teach others to, to discern what is true and what is false. Like the Christians in Berea, picking up that story in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So that's one discipline of study. Another discipline of practice in having the word of Christ dwell richly in us is to meditate upon the word. Now, some people may feel strange about that word, meditation, but it's something the scriptures tell us to do. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. See, meditation is simply pondering. It is imagining what the word means and how it's going to be applied into your life. It's thinking about how it affects your life and how you're going to affect other people, your circumstances all around you. It's, it's to help the word of God to sink in deeper into your heart, your mind, your spirit. So we hear it, we read it, we study it, we meditate it. We need to live it all out. Ezekiel chapter 33, starting in verse 31. And they come to see you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. We need to do it. We need to live out the word of Christ, to, to do the word. For the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, we need to hear it, read it, study it, meditate it, and do it. Live it. We need a healthy dose of the word of God daily, all the time. 
when we are alive in Christ, we, we need a healthy dose of that to sustain us. And if all we do is take it in without working it out, we'll get spiritually unhealthy. Just like people who are just eating, 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 and they don't exercise. They don't live out all the energy that they're taking in. We need to exercise it out. We need to exercise all the sustenance that we've been taking in. Otherwise, we're going to be spiritually constipated. Right? You're going to be spiritually constipated, and what you need is a spiritual movement. <laughs> you need a spiritual movement. That's when, that's when it's healthier, you know, when you're active and get things flowing. I've been on a five-day fast, and I'm not bragging or anything like that. It's not for spiritual reasons. So things like, oh, the guy thinks he's so holy and pious. And it, wasn't, it was not for spiritual reasons, so get that out of the way. It was for health reasons. Um, if it was for spiritual reasons, I wouldn't share it with you. I, you wouldn't know. I, I'd just do it. But this one was for health reasons. And, and so I started uh, last Sunday. And so I, I went five days. I broke it on Friday night with like a cold-pressed juice. And then I've, I've been doing liquids. And then this morning was the first time I had some solids of just like the veggie broth that I made. I smashed up all the veggies. And I just had this like mashed up veggie thing. Um, it's doing something weird to my stomach now. I, I don't know. So going to church, essentially, is like you get, I, you get fed on that Sunday. And then if you wait until the next Sunday, um, you get hungry. So by day two, it was the worst of my hunger. I was like, man, I'm hungry. I want to eat. And then day three, I was like feeling okay. But... Three, four, and five, I felt this gradual weakness. Like it was notably weaker, and my mind was foggier, and I couldn't do as much. I was walking slower, and things weren't just like happening as well and as quick for me. This is kind of like going to church once a week, where if you only get that dose of the word of Christ, just like on a Sunday, it's just like, okay, then you're going to hold off until the next one, and then if you get it, you might feel a little weird right now. And when you go out and then you kind of come back again, like, this is how it, I, I liken it to affecting us in that way. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. That sometimes we go along and we just weaken. And it's not like constantly there. And we need the word of God to direct each one of you here to direct our entire church, to direct our leadership, to direct our fellowship, to direct the teaching and the admonishing. We desire to make the word of God fully known to the church for spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is not going to happen if it's just Sunday, one time a week that the word of God is taken in. It's not even going to happen twice a week that it's just Sunday and Wednesday because I guess people were supposed to do like Three meals, I guess that's what they say. So that's what, 21 meals in a week? And then if you went from 21 to like two. It's not going to just happen by doing like a Sunday in a home group. That there needs to be this interaction with God where we're taking in the word of Christ 
daily, multiple dimes, all the time. For all of us to participate in the work of the ministry so that we can teach and admonish each other. Now you notice that this is to happen in all wisdom. That the teaching and the admonishing is not about like consensus. So like what does the rest of the world think about these things or what? This is about following the authority of God's word, to, to, to being spirit-filled to receive the wisdom of God. And then the verse moves into praise. The church lets the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and the church teaches and admonishes, and then the church sings about all of this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The church will be filled with songs, hymns, spiritual songs, and all of this needs to be Christ-centered. They all need to be doctrinally meaningful, that the Bible is full of songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The name of the Lord Jesus directs everything in our church. The greatest unity within the local church is to talk, live, worship, fellowship, study, serve Jesus together. And you notice the emphasis on thankfulness again. 15, 16, and 17 all mention thankfulness. Thankfulness to to God are marks of this contentment and this realization of who God is in our life. It marks the fullness we have in Christ. It marks the freedom that we have in Christ. Thankfulness cures discontentment. If you're thankful something, it'll start moving that stuff aside so, so that when something or someone comes along the way to derail your relationship with Christ, it won't pull you away because all you have is there because we have all we need in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We pray, God, for unity in our church. We pray that you would give us the hallmarks of a church and that we would draw closer to you through knowing your word as we hear it and we study it, meditate upon it, read it. May it be more than just knowledge. May it be more than just the convictions or things that we feel May it be a true transformational sign that is happening so that other people recognize changes as do we. In Jesus' name, amen.